You are listening to a sermon from Emmaus Church LCMS. For more information, please go to www.emmauspasco.org. Grace and mercy and peace be to you from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. This letter sums up the heart and soul of this, or this verse sums up the heart and soul of the letter to the Philippians. It is a kind of paradox that Paul will dwell on at quite at some length that states the primal truth and calling and reason for celebration that is the letter to the Philippians. There is a mind of Christ Jesus, and it is yours in Christ Jesus. Therefore, have this mind among yourselves. And as we open Paul's letter in the beginning, Paul is introducing his letter, and he's summing it all up, actually. He's kind of giving a a, a snapshot of what's to come. But in this first sermon, and in all the ones to follow, we're going to reflect on how he unfolds the contours of the mind of Christ. Now, I want to begin with kind of an apology, if, if this applies to you. But I'm really bad at writing thank you letters. And you'll know this if you've received a thank you letter from me, because no matter how deeply grateful I may be, no matter how eloquent I'm feeling, when I sit down to write a thank you note, I never really get beyond this basic structure. Uh, Dear so-and-so, thanks, thank you, and I appreciate it. (laughs) Here's a Bible verse, sincerely, Nathan. And it's not that I'm not grateful. And... It's not that I don't want to express my gratitude, but, but I, don't simply, I, I simply fail to take the time, I guess, to think through the various reasons why this gift from this person at this time is a reason to be thankful, and then unfold that in speech. But Paul has, has, does not have this problem at all. Our passage today, in fact, the whole letter to Philippians, is, can be seen as the beefiest thank you note that has ever been written. Because Paul, Philippians is indeed a thank you letter. It's Paul's thank you letter to the congregation in Philippi for sending him support during his imprisonment. And he says this right up front with verse number one. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and the deacons. Now, now why are they giving him thanks? Or why is he giving them thanks? As Paul is writing this letter from prison. We don't really know which prison he was in. It could have been Rome, but it was more likely Ephesus or Caesarea, somewhere that was accessible to Philippi. Because he's in prison, and he's in a prison in a Roman center of authority because he has access to the Roman guards and the Roman praetorium, as we'll find out later. But the thing about being in prison is that it doesn't mean you get fed. Your captors, or the people who are imprisoning you, do not feel an obligation to feed you. And so if you're going to eat, it's going to be because family or friends have have brought food to you in jail and supported you while you're in jail. And the Philippians, from their, little, from their colony in northern Macedonia, they had done something incredible. They had organized, gathered, and given Paul a, a significant amount of money to support him while he's in prison. Now, this is before the day of PayPal or Venmo, or even uh, Western Union. They cannot wire these funds. So this means they had to organize them amongst this group of house churches. They have to send one of their members on a journey, because that's the only way funds get from one place to another. And so, when Paul gives a greeting specifically to the overseers and deacons, 
This is kind of before those terms became official titles. And they're actually terms from the basic administrative world, like managers and treasurers or secretaries. So when he singles them out, he's kind of highlighting, and thanks to the church at Philippi and you treasurers and administrators who organized the gift. That's how he greets them and opens this letter to the saints in Christ, specifically the overseers and deacons who organized this gift. Now, let's talk for a minute about Philippi, because we're going to be dwelling around with this city for some time now. Now, the city of Philippi, as you can see on your map, is in, is in northern Macedonia. It's on the bridge, the roadway from, that connects east and west. And it is a very distinctive place. It is what we find out in Acts 16. It is a colony, a Roman colony. And what that means, not like American colonies founded by, you know, enterprising Englishmen, this is an administrative hub of the Roman Empire. And it was this because about 100 years earlier, a great battle had been fought outside Philippi, outside the city on the fields in front of it. Mark Antony and Octavius conquered Brutus and Cassius, the ones who betrayed and killed Julius Caesar. And they won the right to rule the Roman Empire. And so the war is, civil war is over. They no longer need their army. And Roman generals tend to know that it's not a good idea to bring your army back to Rome. They tend to cause trouble. So what Mark Antony and Octavius agree to do is to resettle significant portions of their army, their most experienced veterans, in Philippi and make it a colony. So Philippi is a fiercely patriotic Roman colony. It is deeply nationalistic, deeply committed to the empire of Rome and its influence over the world which means it's a deeply pagan city that is not really amenable to outside, well, specifically to Jewish and Christian presence. When Paul journeys to uh, Philippi to be, bring the gospel, he finds no synagogue to go to. He actually has to go outside the city and find some Jews outside the city because he always would begin evangelism with the Jews. So he goes outside and finds some, and God opens the heart of some, like a woman named Lydia, to receive the gospel, and Paul begins a church in Philippi. And these saints, they live in a deeply adversarial environment because these saints live by the gospel that Jesus is Lord in a city whose national anthem or pledge of allegiance is Caesar is Lord. And this means that the city of Philippi is not necessarily the easiest place to be a Christian. And this, predominantly, this also means that the church was predominantly Gentile. And we, can, we, we know this kind of between the lines. Paul never cites the Old Testament in this entire letter because he knows his hearers aren't going to know it. He's speaking to Gentiles. And to these saints who live in a deeply patriotic, nationalistic environment, and yet call a different guy Lord, Jesus, they have organized a tremendous gift. They have gone to great expense to bring it over land and sea to serve him in prison. And for this, Paul is exceedingly grateful. And unlike me, he knows how to write a good thank you note, because he sees his gratitude he sees his gratitude towards the Philippians as part of a deeper reality. And he sums up this deeper reality in his greeting. A greeting you've heard so many times you probably don't even listen to it anymore. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. This is more than just a nice way to start a sermon. This is the primal statement of the reality that gives Paul gratitude. Because God's grace in Christ has created a gospel gratitude in Paul that sees God at work restoring all things. 
Now, we need to, 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 to stare a little bit more deeply into this verse because Paul sees a reality, and that is that grace and gratitude are intimately linked. That's why when you read this verse, you really need to read the, the beginning of verse 3. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God. You cannot talk about the grace of God with instantly, without instantly turning to thanks. And the reason for this is because thanks, gratitude, and grace are deeply connected. They're even there in the language. The word for grace in Greek is charis. And when you want to say thanks, you add a prefix and a verbal ending to the word thanks, or sure, the word grace, and it becomes thanks. God's grace creates human gratitude. Now, how, why is this so? Because underneath the idea of grace is this idea of delight or love. Delight. And this is the delight of one person in another. Now, it's all well and good when we would, a delight between two equals, we might just call love. But when we have delight between, well, a superior and an inferior, or delight between someone who is innocent towards the person who wronged them, well, then we can't just call it love. And so when you're talking about the delight that God has in his human creatures, in his creation, it's not just love, it's grace. Because it's delight that God has in his creatures, not because they're awesome or because they deserve it, but for other reasons entirely. Now, let me put it this way. When, let's just say you have a husband and a wife, and the wife is unfaithful. She cheats on the husband. She feels deeply remorseful about this and goes back and confesses her sin and seeks to reconcile with him. And she finds to her complete astonishment that he continues to delight in her. His delight doesn't, isn't just love there. It has taken on the nature of grace. It has endured beyond whether or not it's deserved. It is the now the delight of one person in someone else who has wronged them. And so God's delight in his human creatures through Jesus Christ is utterly gracious. It's utterly free. We, as human beings, the people in Philippi, have done nothing to deserve it. We can do nothing to create it. It is what God sees in Jesus, and he delights in his son Jesus. And because he delights in his son Jesus, he delights in those who are in Jesus. And so the saints in Philippi receive God's grace and are delighted in by their creator because they are in Jesus. And this, this delight, it creates, well, think about the woman. What would it do to have the husband whom she betrayed and hurt continue to delight in her? It would create its own kind of delight, its own kind of love, the delight that says, thank you. It would create gratitude. Delight, when it comes from an inferior towards a superior or from a guilty person towards the, in, towards the person they wronged, it be, takes on the nature of gratitude. And so the human response, the human charis that gets in us, it, when it points towards God, it becomes gratitude, gratefulness. Now, I want to capture this by butchering the English language and saying, and, and, and saying that this is really about gratitude. Now, because I respect you and I respect myself, I'm not going to say that word more than one time because it is complete abomination before the English language. But I hope that it offends your sensibilities enough to get into your heart and your memory so that you can see this connection between God's grace and human gratitude. Because even in English, the word gratitude and grace are related. Now, grace, God's delight in his creatures, it does something. It actually does something that creates more gratitude. It creates peace. And if you look at verse 2, you can see this. It is grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, peace is more than just, hey, guys, it's great. 
It's even richer than just the greeting, peace be with you, that Jesus gives. It is a statement about shalom, the harmonious work of God's creation. Because it's coming from Paul, who knows his Old Testament deeply, whose mind and heart is shaped by it. And he knows that peace is when all creation is working the way it's supposed to. When human beings are rightly related to God and to one another, there is peace. There is shalom. And so when he wishes grace, he also is wishing peace. And that is that God's grace reconciles human relationships and creates good things in the world. Wolves start lying down with lambs. If Eden, before the fall, starts blossoming in creation, when God's grace starts renewing it. And so this grace and peace in Christ Jesus creates something in the world, a gratitude that sees God at work. So when Paul turns to the Philippians, he puts their gift and what, he's, what he wants to say to them, he puts it in that story, in the story of God's delight in human beings through Jesus that creates peace in his world. So this gospel gratitude, it, it does a couple different things. Paul's going to point it in three different directions. The first thing he's going to do is point it towards the past and then towards the present, and then towards the future. And when it's turned towards the past, it becomes joyful remembrance. Gospel gratitude, this is number three, remembers the past gifts as God's good work. He writes this, and he turns to the, first, the big part of his thank you. Verse three, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all, making my prayer with joy. Okay, so he remembers them. And, he remembered, and his, his remembrance is joyful. Why? Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. His delight in them, his gratitude towards them, is because they have partnered in the gospel with him. This, again, is a word taken from the business world. They have literally partnered with him. They have supported him financially. And this is a partnership in the gospel, the very good news of Jesus. And this didn't just start when he was in prison. It started way back when, the first time he came to them. And what Paul is saying is that this work, your physical partnership with me, your protection of me, it's a manifestation of God's work. You are doing this because God is at work in you. And because God is at work in you, he's going to finish it. You can't be... De- you, you, if you, anyone who knows the Old Testament knows that, that to believe in God is to remember his past acts. So when Paul looks at the support he gets from the Philippians, he remembers this is God's past act of faithfulness working through them, and God's a finisher. He's going to finish this work he has begun in them. God doesn't, God's not like me, who still hasn't painted the baseboards of his flooring project that he did in 2019, even though 2020 presented me with more than enough opportunity to finish this. God's a finisher. He's going to finish this work he's begun in the Philippians. And because they have partnered with him in the gospel, Paul sees that God is at work in them. God's grace is making peace through that community, through their actions. And he will, at the day of Christ Jesus, finish it. Because if your mind is formed by the Old Testament, when you look back to God's past actions, you see a promise about the future. That's so crucial that when you see the past actions. And we as Christians, when we remember Christ's death and resurrection, we are seeing them in, the, in them a promise of the future. When we remember our baptisms, we remember that God began a good work in us. Before we could choose, before we could do anything, God came to us and said, I delight in you because of Jesus. I am creating peace in you and through you in this world because of Jesus. 
And because God has promised that to us, to you in your baptism, we look forward to that day when he will complete it in us. Because God's a finisher. So gospel gratitude remembers past gifts as God's good work. But when gospel gratitude turns towards the present, it sees the present in a certain light. And when Paul turns to the present, which is him being in jail, he talks about what the gospel has done in his heart. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers or partners with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Paul has good reasons to think that, that things are really bad right now. He has a good reason to think that, that this is a dark day. And we're going to read about them soon. But when he looks at the darkness of his imprisonment, he is delighted to see God at work through the Philippians and sees the present not as darkness but as grace. The Philippians are, sh are sharing with him, partnering together with him in grace. Right now that grace looks like him being in jail so that they can partner with him, so that he can speak to his captors. But we have that same word, koinonia, buried underneath that word, partakers with me of grace, people who have shared it together. So when we have gospel gratitude, when we see our, our lives through the lens of God's grace, what we see, we look at our present and we look at the trials that we're going through, we look at the afflictions that we might experience, and we, look, and we see them as God at work in our world, as God's grace creating new relationships as God's grace stripping us of things that we rely on other than grace, of God's grace disciplining us and teaching us. Maybe it's the gospel enabling you to see something in your present you didn't see before. Maybe, and especially in hardships, grace gives you the power to see it as part of God's story, as part of him doing something to create peace in this world through you. Because he sees them as partners, both in his imprisonment and defense of the gospel. How are the Philippians partners in his imprisonment? Well, they gave up money and time. They shared his suffering. They went without some stuff that they might otherwise have had so that he didn't have to go without food. And that was all, ultimately, not for the sake of Paul, but for the sake of the gospel. They are partners together with him in grace. And because he sees how the grace of God has created a partnership together with them, he delights in them. Love for one another. I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Because when we're going through something bad together, we love the people we're going through it with. And so gospel gratitude looks at the present and sees a church created by God that sustains us together in affection for one another. Again, not because we deserve it, but because we are sharers together in the grace of God. And finally, when gospel gratitude turns towards the future, it becomes confident prayer. Gospel gratitude turned towards the future becomes confident prayer for God's completed work. And it is my prayer, Paul writes, that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Paul gives us here a paradox. A paradox we should have, we kind of recognized. He's already said, I'm confident that God began a good work and he will complete it. Therefore, I pray that he keep working. His confidence that God will finish the work does not mean he sits by and says, God will take care of it, I don't need to worry about it. He says, I pray that, that God, that your love may abound more and more. 
God is a finisher, so he prays that God finishes and, com and keeps working. There is a paradox of divine and human action that we're going to see run throughout the letter to the Philippians. Because Paul knows their love is real. It's literally feeding him. He's eating it. And he knows that this love is the fruit of God's gracious work in them. And he knows God will finish it, so he, he prays that it grows. And he prays that it grows in specific ways, not just that you be more and more nice, but that you may be more discerning and wise in your love. May you love it with knowledge and discernment, so that their love, when it grows, doesn't just grow in quantity, it grows in quality. It grows knowing, well, what peace really looks like, what good and evil are according to God's definition, so that they are more than just sappy acceptance or sentimental love or sentimental feeling, but they are a deep commitment to the good of another. A deep, that's what love based on wisdom is, is a deep commitment to the good of another, based on God's definition of the good. And love seeks and knows and sacrifices for the good of the beloved. And that means there are hard choices to make, especially when you live in an environment that calls Caesar Lord and you call Jesus Lord. That means you are going to have to be well, to know how to approve what is excellent, Paul says. To know how to make the right choices. To live in a city that presents you with many choices that are not Jesus' choice. That are not the right choice. But he prays that God grow in them the wisdom and discernment to make that right choice. And of course, he knows that that will happen. He knows that God will finish the work that comes about in the day of Christ Jesus. Because he knows that they have been given this righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ that grace, that delight of God, it's been given to them. And it will abound to the glory and praise of God. Because everything in this Christian life, everything of gospel gratitude is always working towards the glory and praise of God. It's received the delight of God without giving anything back, without praising, without earning, or winning, or, or yeah, meriting anything. And because it has received this delight of God, it delights in him and in his peace in the world. These are the contours of gospel gratitude. This is the mind that is yours in Christ Jesus. The delight in God and his world that remembers past works, that recognizes God's grace in the present, and that looks towards the future, praying and working for the advancement of God's purpose in the world. It all flows from that beginning. Grace and peace to you in Christ Jesus from God our Father. And this delight, when it comes to you and gets inside you, creates a gospel gratitude that can write better thank you notes than your pastor because it sees everything in your world as a manifestation of God's work that you know will be completed in Christ Jesus. This is the contour of gospel gratitude. This is the mind of Christ. So have this mind among yourselves, which is also yours in Christ Jesus. Amen. This has been a message from Emmaus Church LCMS. We thank you for listening and we invite you to find out more by visiting our website at www.emmauspasco.org. That's www.emmauspasco.org.